Hello, 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 and welcome to the Good Life with Dawn Richards podcast. I am Dawn Richards, your host, and I'm so excited to be back with you again. We are now on episode 37, and we are continuing in our original intent series that we kicked off a couple of episodes ago. So if you're just joining the party, um, you can go back and access all of the previous podcasts, including the most recent um, in our original intent series, but we're going to dive right back in because I'm eager to pick up where we left off. I do pray that you are well. Um, It's February. We're in a new month, Black History Month, Black Heritage Month. I always say that Black history is American history. Um, And so I hope that wherever you are, you are taking the opportunity, um, if you are non-Black, to um, extend yourself to those in your life or maybe those that you want to bring into your life that are of black heritage and just, you know, connect and and get engaged and informed. Um, You know, we are a community of believers. We're a community of, you know, fellow mankind on the earth. And the more we know, the more we recognize that we have so much more in common than we do um, dividing us and distinct. So, we celebrate differences, but we also celebrate um, unity under that umbrella of differences. So with that being said, I am going to start um, back where I believe we left off, which was right around the topic of God's original intent for the family. And I have a few more things I do want to share on that front before we go into some other areas of original intent during the time we have together. But I think I ended it where we were talking about um, how it should be once you're married. You know, when you enter into a marriage as husband and wife, that is going to be that primary relationship. Um, Ideally, you know, your spouse is your best friend. It doesn't mean you don't have other friends. Not saying that, but that is your confidant. That is your ace. That is the person that should know you better than anyone else besides God. Um, that is God's highest intent. That is that is the bar. So if you look at your life, if you look at your relationships, if you look at your marriage, even if you're married and if you've been married like myself um, in the past and learn from things and, and understand where, you know, you want to be in, f- in a future scenario, then you evaluate, OK, this is the bar. According to God's word, this is the great um standard that God set for me to enjoy ecstasy in my marriage. And that is not an oxymoron. Actually, that is God's intent. He says that women are to enjoy their husbands. He talks about um, being heirs together to the grace of life. He talks about leaving to cleave, meaning you guys are one, you're solid. And that's a continual growing and and evolving. Obviously, Um, it doesn't just happen when you say your wedding vows, but that days of heaven on earth existence is available. Will you have to press into it? Does the enemy hate family? Does he hate family as God designed family? Absolutely. That's why we've seen so many attacks over all these years. Ever since family was established, the first family, Adam and Eve were attacked. And and we unfortunately um, have had to bear the brunt of that. Thankfully, again, Jesus came and made it all right and did even more than they could have ever undone. But we see how the enemy hates family because family represents 
<laughs> it represents life. It represents God and, and, and the ultimate, the ultimate in being married, especially as to Christians is you're reproducing the life of God. If you procreate, you're releasing godly seed into the earth. And God has so much to say to you about your seed. And so if you are parents, then I encourage you to get intimate with the scriptures and all the promises that God has made to you about your children. He has great things in store for your children, great promises to you for your children that you can believe on their behalf. That's one of the things I really loved as I saw it start to unfold throughout the Bible, especially in the old covenant. When babies were born, they would decree over their lives. They would declare over their lives. They bless those babies and they set them up for a glorious destiny in God. And that's what we should be doing. We have to be mindful of how we're relating to our children, how we're speaking over their lives, how we're either crippling them or blessing them and enabling them to do great things according to the will of God. So that's another sermon for another day. And we're going to go back to the core family of the husband and the wife first. And that's another thing with divine order. God put the man and the woman together first. And so that is going to be that primary, if you had to prioritize, most important relationship in the family structure. Now, does that mean that you don't care about your children if you have children? Absolutely not. But it means that your pandering, um, your priority should not be the parent to child relationship over into the chagrin of the, the spouse to spouse relationship. And I hope that's clear. Uh, and, and God talks more about that as you go along in the scripture. But just the foundation of ecstasy in marriage. That was God's original intent. Adam was overwhelmed when God presented Eve to him. Eve was beside herself with this God man that she was created in relationship with. And so here they are happily living, minding their own good business, fellowshipping with the Lord, um, you know, just enjoying the luxury and, and the ecstasy that God created for them in the Garden of Eden, probably talking about their plans to continue to take over the world <laughs> because that was always the plan. Glory to God. And along comes a little you know, glitch in, in the program. And so as we go over to Genesis three, we see where things take a turn. And I want to point out a, a few things here as we move on, as it relates to God's original intent for us as humans, whether we're in the, in, in a relationship or not in a relationship. And, and by relationship, I mean a romantic relationship. We have many facets of relationships as children, as parents, as friends, um, as siblings and, and such. So it doesn't just restrict to the marital relationship, but that was the initial primary relationship. So as we move along, we see something interesting that goes back to God's original intent for our lives. And that's the point of these messages. That's the point of these, these episodes on original intent is so that we have a clear view. We don't want to be in the gray. We don't want to be murky about the things that happen in our lives and whether or not that was God's intent all along, whether we should just get with the program and yield to that or whether we should stand in our authority in Christ, resist it, bring God's power on the scene and receive heaven on earth. That's why we're doing this. So we can be very clear, clear as a bell about the will of God and what's not the will of God about when the enemy is trying to steal on us. <laughs> you get stole alone. 
he's trying to come in and wreak havoc. If that's something that God is using or if it could be from another source. These are the things that people get tripped up on every day. Natural disasters, tragedies that happen and they become overwhelmed with confusion about whether God was a part of that and who was behind that? Who was behind the trouble? Who was behind the divorce? Who was behind the heartache? Who was behind the, you know, the failure, whatever it looks like. So we've got to be clear about God, who he is, what his intentions are towards us. As much as you want to be clear about the intentions of any individual that you're interacting with, you want to be clear about the intentions of God towards you. And what he said and what he's shown us in creation itself about what we should be expecting and how we should be living. So as we go over to Genesis chapter three, things get a little interesting, I'd say. And not in a good way, because this is where the fall happens. And by the fall, I mean, this is where Adam and Eve give their authority, all the God. Um, given authority and, and dominion that God had just given to them two chapters before they turn it over to Satan, essentially bowing the knee to him and making him God small G of this world. Now that authority has since been reclaimed. So we always end on a good note. We always end on the best note with God because he always has a plan. You'll never box God in. You'll never get one over on him. There's not one thing existing that can ever do it and has ever done it. So we're in great hands, but there are consequences when things go down, right? (laughs) I mean, I, 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 I jokingly sometimes use the example of, you know, if you decide to rob the 7-Eleven, God is not going to jump out of a bush and and wave a burning flag and say, oh no, you cannot rob the 7-Eleven. No, he's going to probably be telling you, all the time that you're planning it, don't rob the 7-Eleven. He's probably going to, you know, maybe send people to to tell you, you know, stealing is not a way of life. You know, you have to go to prison when you commit crimes. He's going to have all these indicators that this is not the path that I have for you. But ultimately, he will allow you to choose if you want to rob the 7-Eleven. And then there will be consequences once you've done it. Because you are a free moral agent. I'm a free moral agent. God gave us the gift of choice above all. We can choose to serve him and worship him as God, or we can choose to reject him. In any instance, there are consequences. So that's the point there. And so even with the fall of of man through Adam and Eve and their choices to give over their authority to Satan, Did God redeem mankind? Absolutely. But were there consequences to their choices and their decisions? Yes. And God told them up front what would happen. He says, see, God is not the kind to play games. He's not the kind to pull the okie doke. He's he says what he means and he means what he says. And he told them. If you eat of this tree and he told them which tree, everything was in clear sight. They knew exactly What he meant, and he told Adam, in fact, and Adam, as the lead and the head of his family, was entrusted with making sure Eve, his wife, was on board and knew exactly what the deal was. And that's where the vulnerability came. And that's where the breakdown ultimately came and how Satan was able to sneak in because he's a sneaky snake, just like we see here. And trip her up, deceive her. Adam was 
I don't know what he was. He was just lame. And <laughs> sorry, Adam. And he went along with the game when he knew better. And then there you were. We, we, we lost it all there. So before this happened, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we see something very interesting as God is talking about the man and the woman coming together as family, as man and wife, as husband and wife. He says in 24, they leave and cleave. The man himself leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. So you become one before God. And then in verse 25, he says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And if you have your Bible with you there, this is Genesis 2, verse 25. I underlined with lots of ink, no shame. Because when we head over to chapter 3, a while later, and all of it goes down with the serpent coming in and Deceiving Eve, essentially, the Bible tells us Eve was deceived because she wasn't physically there when God told Adam what the deal was. Adam was supposed to make sure she was in the know. So she kind of ad libbed, you know, she was going along with Satan's lies. And see, that's how the the enemy works. He's never going to come shoot it to you straight because he doesn't know how he's crooked, deceptive, treacherous. Sneaky, any adjective you can think of other than upstanding and right. He's a snake. And how do snakes prey on their victims? They hide and then they 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 attack. And so he came in as a snake. He chose that. And the snake, unfortunately, was cursed from that point forward. Um, But he came in as a serpent, as a snake. And he started to plant doubt by lying into Eve's mind. So he waited until he got her alone. He isolated her from her covering, which was Adam, her husband. He got her alone. He fed her lies about and doubts about what God had told them. He got her tripped up and confused. God is not the author of confusion. So see, you need to be writing all these things down. When you enter a zone of confusion, you should hit the brakes. Automatically hit the brakes because that is not God. And then you back up and you ask God to make it clear to you. What is this about? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? Is this you? Give me clarity. Speak to my heart. That's when you go to the source of light and life himself to get the clarity, the guidance you need to proceed. And so you're seeing the M.O. here, not only of God's original intent, but the enemy's original intent, which is always to steal, kill and destroy which is what happened here because God told them, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Did they die right there on the spot when they ate of that fruit? No, but spiritually they did. They died and their physical death eventually happened almost a century later because the body had to learn how to break down. Do you know we were designed to be immortal? We were created to be immortal. Our bodies did not know how to die. Our cells did not know how to die. That's why you see Adam living 900 plus years and you see for generations and generations, men live to be 900 and something years, 700 and something years, 800 and something years, 600. I mean, they were having kids when they were 300 and something years old. Can you imagine that? (laughs) And it's not like we are today. I mean, 
sin is at such a place and has done such a number on earth that, you know, if we crest a century mark, we are we are doing something really special because sin has just brought it down to that bare minimum. In that time, living to be 300, you would be as vibrant as probably somebody who's 20. So it's not apples to apples in the way we see age. But yes, our bodies had to learn how to die after the curse came into the earth because we were created to live forever. And that's why God had to take drastic measures and banish them from the garden so they would not lock into this eternal state of spiritual death and damnation, which would mean it's over for all of us. None of us could ever be redeemed. Jesus couldn't come in and, and redeem us. And so God always has a method and a plan to counteract whatever chaos and crazy the enemy thinks he's struck up. And, and whenever he thinks he's he's just done the fate of complete, God always has a trump hand. Just know that in your life. And he did for us, thank God. But after all of this went down, the enemy tricked Eve. She pulled Adam in. They both ate of that fruit. And it was lights out. The Bible says at that moment, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they went from no shame to all of a sudden, suddenly feeling shame at their nakedness. They didn't even, they didn't even look at their nakedness as anything to be um, shrouded or covered or, um, frowned upon because they were actually covered with the glory of God. That was their, that was their clothing. As my pastor says, and and has taught, taught, um, all these years, which I love, he taught us that they were wearing the glory and that actually, when you think about human beings, we're the only species of being that's born without a natural coat. Any other species of being that you see, dogs, cats, horses, fish, any other species of being, birds, they are born, giraffes, elephants, they're born in their natural coat. We don't go buy coats and put them on elephants. Now, some people like to play with their pets and put little cutesy things on that, but that, that, that pet is designed to live just like it's born with that natural coat with no other covering. Mankind is the only species that wasn't born with its natural coat. And why is that? Because our natural coat from the beginning was the glory of God. And that's what was taken away. That's what they shredded. That's what they lost in that moment when they bowed their knee to Satan and sinned. So they lost the glory of God, which was their natural covering. And they had to sew fig leaves together because now shame had entered the picture. And so what does that tell us? Shame is not God's will for us. Shame, living in shame, being shameful of yourself, being shameful of your life, being shameful of your experiences, being shameful of your journey, being shameful of who you are, being shameful of things that are done to you that you had no control over. Living a life of shame, whether you caused it or someone else caused it. And the New Testament bears this out is not God's will. 
It never was because when God created man and then he brought the woman on the scene, he made a point to let us know that there was no shame in the midst. No shame. And so we trace, we trace the shame. And when we trace the shame, we find shame showing up here in Genesis three immediately after they got in bed with Satan, so to speak. So one thing I would say to us is we've got to be smarter than that. We don't even want to have to battle those things by playing in the enemy's playground. But when and when we do, because we are human, we are fallible beings. In this in this current state, when we go to heaven and we receive our glorified bodies and we're made perfect, the Bible says at that point we will be made perfect, then that won't even be an issue. But for now, we're still capable of sinning. That's like I said, we're free moral agents. You want to rob the 7-Eleven, God's going to let you rob it. You're going to get in trouble because that's how things go. God forgives you. But guess what? Man says, hey, we have laws on the books and you don't come up in here robbing us. So now you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to prison. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And it doesn't even mean that you have to live your life in shame for the rest of your life because of mistakes you've made, because of bad choices, because of things you might do today, things you might say today. You know, if you've ever said something that was out of the way or been hurtful in your words or or harmful to someone in any capacity, shame is going to come in, especially when you have a tender conscience and it's endeavoring condemnation and shame are endeavoring to slowly, but surely kill you by killing your confidence in God. Because the Bible tells us in the new Testament that it's our hearts that condemn us. It's not God condemning us. It's not the pastor condemning us. It's not the best friend that's condemning us. It's not even your spouse that's condemning you. It's your own heart. And so we have to resist that. We're created to walk with our heads held high as kings and priests of the most high God. We're created to flow in our divinity. As children of the most high God, yes, we make mistakes. So what? Because see, the only one that cares about your sin is Satan. God has already dealt with it. And you can tell him, shut up. It's none of your business. This is between me and my God. And the blood of Jesus has already handled it. And then you go on with God and and, and on his good plan and his good path and the correction and the repentance and all the things that he's put in place for you to live a dignity, a restored, dignified, shame-free, vibrant, self-affirming, self-loving life. Because shame will make, make you hate yourself. It'll make you turn on yourself. And that's what the enemy did here. He made them turn on themselves. He made them give up their God status. And that's when all the crazy broke out, because as you continue to read, as you probably have done before, you see the crazy breaking out. And what's the first crazy thing we see breaking out? We see something called the blame game coming into existence. 
See, prior to the fall, there had never been anyone to blame because there was nothing wrong. Blame comes in when there is presumed wrong. And so now we've got to pin it on someone. We've got to find a culprit. We've got to find who and what is responsible. And so that's what happened. God came in. He saw what they had done. He already knew. He saw them when they did it again. Let them do it because he's not going to force himself on anyone. Obviously, he was heartbroken. He didn't want that for them. That was not his his original intent, which is why he took the time to teach them what to do and what not to do. But when they decided to disobey, he allowed them to do it. And then he starts talking to them because he was hoping to get some repentance out of Adam. He's hoping that Adam will come to the table own up to what has just happened. And now we can turn this thing around. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And what happened instead, which perpetuated the death cycle and locked it in. Until Jesus came. Or the curse, as we say. Was the blame game. And you can see the blame game in motion. Starting in verse 11. Because here God asked a question to Adam. And then he punts in verse 12 and blames it on the woman, on Eve. And then Eve punts and blames it on the serpent. And there you go. No accountability. No owning your your truth, owning your mess. That all feeds into shame. That all feeds into. Your life being so much less than what God intended. How can you actually emerge from the dust, from the ashes, if you won't even own your part in the mess? Own your truth. Own your bad attitude. Own your poor budgeting habits. Own your temper, whatever it is. Own your laziness. And I'm talking to you as much as myself. We have to own these things about our lives and then we have to submit them to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord and say, help me. Help me, Lord. Obviously, I can't do it by myself or I would have already done it. So I'm coming to you, the one who loves me best, who knows me best. And I know you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You've already seen this about me. God already knew all of that about them. They weren't surprising him. And even after all of that, he was still there with them. Did they have a harder life from that point forward than than God intended? Yes, they did. That's called consequences. But God is into mitigating consequences. And thankfully, that's why I say we have a better covenant. The Bible says we have a better covenant with better promises, because when Jesus comes in and deals with our sin and he's already done that for every person that will accept, he's already dealt with the sins of the world. All we have to do is accept it. Then we get a get out of jail free card, so to speak. Now, yes, there's still natural consequences, even still today with Jesus having done all of that. If you rob that 7-Eleven, you're probably going to go to jail. That's just facts. So we don't want to do those things. But do you have to live in shame over it for the rest of your life? No. Do you have to define yourself by it for the rest of your life? No. Are you still a child of God? Yes. Can God still use you? Yes. Glory to God. But it's important that we make the distinction. Shame doesn't belong in your life. So my homework for you 
is to go and figure out where there is shame and to eradicate it, renounce it, forbid it to exist, rebuke it, and stand up in your dignity and your divinity in God. I'm all out of time, but I thank you so much for listening. As always, it is a blessing to minister to you, and I pray these podcasts are helping you to see who you are in Christ like never before. I pray that you would be liberal in sharing it, downloading it, commenting, liking, all the things, and stay connected with me online, on social media, and until we're together again, again, always remember to live the good life in Christ Jesus, to live intentionally, and God bless you.